Hey, Rob. How you doing? Good. I, uh, the spring is finally, spring is finally here. Yeah, no kidding. Things <laughs> we, are starting to green up I and, just, uh, I got my first sunburn already, so I'm pumped about that. Oh man. <laughs> I hope it's not as bad as the sunburn you got in Mexico last year. No, I'm not. I won't peel from this one. I thought you were going to oh, die of skin cancer from that one. I still have spots all over my back. <laughs> oh man. From the, from the burn, but <clears throat> yeah, the, you were right. The skin is different as you get, the, the sun is a lot different when you get closer to the equator. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so guys, today we're going to be talking with Mark. Look, he just hopped in and, uh, he looks as dapper as ever. Um, <laughs> and you can obviously hear me, so that's great. Mark, your microphone's muted. And just to give some context to the conversation today, guys, um, and I'm going to change it to speaker view so that uh, we're seeing one person at a time. Um, so where do we start here? I mean, both Dakota and I kind of live in an echo chamber, and we just constantly talk about permaculture and uh and kind of, you guys don't get out much eh Even no social distancing yeah it's making it worse <laughs> and so <laughs> permaculture one of the kind of main kind of statements is the problem is the solution and so when we end up in a situation like this uh you know that's kind of the the context in which we start to think and it, i i've been watching all this stuff kind of go down and recognizing that uh, I don't know much about economics in spite of the fact that it's a super important subject, uh, given the fact that we all work, you know, 40 hours plus a week trying to make money. We get told to put money into these economies and into these stock markets and various investment vehicles. And then something like this comes along and we just watch uh, our life's work evaporate. And so instead of having another live session with just Dakota and myself, we thought we'd invite our friend Mark Analeski, who uh has written numerous books um and if you had to put the word permaculture behind beside economics it would probably sit flatly beside his his name and so we we prepared a couple of really hard questions from tonight um, because i know that we're not the only people thinking about these things and um i also know that we've got a lot of fans of marks out there on our newsletter and so i um, thought this would be a great venue to to interview him so i don't know Dakota, do you want to Give any context, and I know you've got the first question there. So, oh, I think I can't hear you. I'm not sure if you're muted or I, the inter I was yeah. muted. There you go. All uh, right. Before before we jump in, I thought I would uh, um, just ask Mark a couple questions just about his background for folks that aren't familiar with him. Um, I know, like Mark, at one point, weren't you like, consulting with the government of Singapore to help them like redesign their entire economic system did i did i get that right actually china so china. <laughs> oh just yeah, just a small so economy a few, a few just, million just you china, know. yeah i wasn't seeing yeah. last year but mm. uh, so the okay that's that's right yeah. so yeah can you, can you give folks a, a bit of background about the work that you do and and uh and why you do it uh oh, those are tough questions so uh I am an economist, a forester uh, by training as well, and I've got some accounting background. So, and I spent about 13 years with the Alberta government uh, up to about 1998 
uh, my last, so I was forced economist with the province uh, with Alberta Forest Service. And then I spent my last years in Alberta Treasury or finance in uh, business planning and performance measurement under Jim Dinning when he was treasurer. Ralph Klein was premier. And after that, I went on my own basically and uh, as a consultant and over the years sort of developed uh, an understanding of the economic system and why we're not measuring progress the way we should be. As Bobby Kennedy said, we're not measuring things that make life worthwhile. So it sort of gave me a motivation to think about a new accounting system that would measure well-being and happiness as a basis of economic progress. I've sort of been pioneering um, in this field for, for a long time, as noted, advising China on uh, what they call it in the Chinese language, Xiao Kang, which means well-being. Actually, it's a Confucian word. So helping them develop their national Xiao Kang or well-being measurement framework, uh, which is pretty cool. And green GDP as well. That's the other piece I worked on. That was way back in 2003 to six. So uh, I continue to sort of get called on for advice to uh, different levels of government. And I work now almost exclusively with First Nations on developing their economies of well-being as chief economist with what's called the Indigenomics Institute that uh, my friend Caroline Hilton founded. Uh, she's based in Victoria. So that's what I do for fun. I do lots of podcasting and other stuff just to, uh, especially in this time when we're, I think we're in an important place of opportunity. And yes, my view of the world is very much a permaculture view of the world. So I say money, money must be mimic, money must mimic nature. And how are we gonna do that? So that's the, I know it's a burning question for a lot of us. So. Really high quality awesome. comment just came in here, uh, Dakota. Dakota, you need to be wearing a big hat. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Anyhow. I've, I've got right. one, I can put it No, on. no, 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 let's get into it, that's great. <laughs> You got a lot of sun, though, Dakota. I, I, I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm going to, the, the first question, Rob and I were trying to come up with a list of, of uh, to, to questions that we could somehow seem intelligent with regards to uh, standing next to you, Mark. But one of the ones just out of personal curiosity that came up right away was, uh, what's the most terrifying conversation you've had in the last couple weeks? I've had a lot of terrifying conversations. Is this going to be the end of us? Uh, is this, you know, is this the end of the global financial matrix? Um, is there going to be a consolidation into one global currency and digital kind of, you know, system of, you know, uh, ID chips and all kinds of crazy things? Um, th that's all, you know, on a spectrum of, of uh, crazy conversations or at least listening to different opinions about what we think is gonna happen next, right? But uh, I've had some very exciting conversations too with the Associate Finance Minister's Office of Canada talking about uh, what do we do in the state when we, can we table a new new budget that focuses on well-being? So that's pretty exciting. And I wish Alberta was in that kind of same mindset, but we're not, we're, I think we're in a bit of a existential crisis with oil, you know, below 20 bucks. Um, so we're feeling a lot of hurt, I think. But at the same time, there's massive opportunities for redesigning our global money system, uh, the way we bank, the whole thing. It's just really, I just wake up every morning going, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, and this is maybe the time to 
try something new, a new narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead, Dakota. No, you know, you go, go ahead, Rob. So I've been spending quite a bit of time kind of trying to buff up on uh, economics in the last few evenings. Um, just again, recognizing my sheer lack of of knowledge and um and i've actually been ended up i ended up watching some videos from uh mark blight you must know him hey i don't actually oh okay. blight blight he's a professor blight. at brown university um, that explains it. No, <laughs> well he's actually he's actually scottish so um not that, not that that really matters uh but no, I, I got the only book i keep on my bookshelf from my economics days is economics for dummies okay that's all you need to know so Okay, well, I probably should pick a copy of that up because I certainly feel like that. So with all the stuff I've been watching, I mean, it, it, every economist has a different take on, on where this is all going to end. And I'm sure that the decisions that get made in the coming months are going to have a large influence on, on what happens. I've heard everything from uh, contract, uh, contractionary deflation to hyperinflation. And then the most recent, I got a comment on a video I posted today about uh, hyper stagflation, which actually, now that I think about it, seems like the most reasonable outcome. Um, where do you sit on that spectrum? And let's maybe actually start at the 101 level. What are those three scenarios? And are there any scenarios we're not considering that are worth having a conversation about? I'm going to be very disrespectful and say I ignore the whole spectrum because I think it's all mumbo jumbo. Um, first of all, economists, what they don't learn is what money is and where it comes from. So when we talk about inflation, actually one definition of inflation is an increase in the money supply. So what's happening right now is we're getting helicopter money. They use words like quantitative easing. I just say, it's like saying, look mom, how easy it was to create money like magic. Um, so suddenly there's all this money coming into our bank accounts. We just have to fill out a, you know, Alberta digital ID. And we get, uh, if we're a small business, we can access, some of these funds. Now, the question is, will all that helicopter money in our bank accounts cause future inflation? Well, 2000 bucks a month isn't going to make you go out and spend a lot, right? So uh, yes, it's remarkable that they were able to create this money out of thin air, which you know is a, is a study itself in, in monetary policy. Uh, so, but nobody ever stops to think of where did this money come from, who created it, and when governments have raised these billions of dollars to save us, um, who did we sell this debt to? That's the big question. And if we didn't create it ourselves for free, which we should be, then we are we're terrible economists, and we're not paying attention to history, which has taught us that we can create money as a public utility. It's like turning on the tap in your house. That's the way money should flow uh, into and, and through the economy. So this notion of inflation, as I go back, by definition, is an increase in the money supply. The only way the money supply can increase right now is when banks create loans. Brand new money is created every time you, you get a mortgage or a student loan. People don't understand that either. 90% of our money is created when banks issue loans. Okay, that's really, really important. That means all money today is debt, which has a future expectation of payment. That means the interest payments on all that debt is embedded in everything we buy and sell, everything. 
In the US, it's about 50 cents on every dollar Americans are earning pre-COVID. 50 cents, that means half your work week went to pay private corporations interest charges on money they created, which we could have created under our public bank, the Bank of Canada. And in Alberta, we have ATB, which is Alberta Treasury Branch, a public provincial bank. So these are my main messages um, that I'm trying to get people to think about today. So I'm gonna just sort of ignore stag inflation, hyperinflation, they, because they all relate to a misunderstanding of the money system. And this is a global situation I'm talking about. Canada is not uh, unusual. China perhaps is an outlier. They're unique in some respects, but everybody in a way is in the same boat. So that's why I'm saying this is a global existential crisis of confidence in a debt money system, which was inherently unstable and was going to implode anyways. So then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reframe the question because I don't disagree uh, with you on those things. But uh, in your perfect world, then you are emperor and you can make money as a utility. That's awesome. And I'd love to, I want to hear next about what you're doing to make that a reality. But in the event that you get demoted as the emperor and the money system, they kick the can further down the street. Uh, I think from um, what are, what are pragmatic things from an economic perspective that individuals can do to protect the life energy that they've been working to accumulate over these last years in this broken system going forward? Well, the dark news is um, as we now enter into negative interest territory, that means there's no, there's no reason to put your money in the bank. So the whole system, Germany's already negative, we're moving towards negative. So when there's negative interest rates, there's a disincentive to, to save and there's an incentive to spend actually. And so in a way, one could say we're all at risk of losing everything we put aside and saved and invested in the casino, I meant stock market, right? And <laughs> so the whole thing actually is at risk of complete implosion. So the dark side in me would say, hmm, this is a perfect economic opportunity to consolidate more money power into yet fewer hands, issue like a crypto digital global currency called the Libra or whatever you want to call it. And, and yet the people are continuing to be suffering even more. Uh, the best, best case scenario, if I was emperor, um, if I was a leader of the Catholic church, if I was a Pope, let's say, um, and I have written to the Pope about this, by the way, got no response that uh, I would issue a global uh, debt jubilee. I would cancel all debts, reboot the computer, uh, and we could start in Canada. What does that mean? We actually dictate to the Bank of Canada that we now issue enough money to buy back all the government debt. That's outstanding. Zero it out. That would save every province lots, billions of dollars in avoided interest costs. Can we do it? Absolutely, we did it. We were doing that before 1974. So between World War II and 74, the Bank of Canada was basically buying any government debt and washing it, just forgiving it. Um, ancient cultures did this. Every seven years, the Sumerian culture, the Babylonian culture forgave debts. Every seven years, debts were completely wiped out. They call it clean slate. We have never practiced that ever, probably not since Roman times. So. I'm not Nero, I'm not an emperor, but you know, if we practiced it, why did the Sumerians understood it, understand that was wise? Because they knew that, and you know from farming or tending the land, that land will produce three times what you see, right? In pro product, productivity. 
money is just an abstraction. We create it out of nothing. And then we, but we, we act around it as if we didn't create it. Uh, now, if money was tied directly to the productivity of land, real assets, we could actually have a perfect economic system like a watershed where just enough liquidity, notice the language liquidity, currency, banks, right? All water metaphors is flowing perfectly through our system. There's never a lack. There's only a potentially abundance. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking to colleagues around the world about designing these new monetary systems uh, that could be implemented tomorrow. Will they be? Eh, it remains to be seen. Only if enough people are aware and they ask, start asking these questions like I have been my whole life and saying, why is it the money's always scarce? You know, can we mimic money? What, what's the mimic, biomimicry of money in nature? Can we act like permaculture uh, in the economy? And I think the answer is, of course we can. It's just a choice, right? That we have to make and we can construct a new operating system. I've shown, I can play it on my spreadsheet. I can do all of Canada right now on a spreadsheet and show you exactly how much if I was a finance minister, but I would return the power of the central bank to its original glory, which, which we lost in 1974 when we handed the power over to the private banks. I know it's kind of tough love uh, messaging and, and my message for Alberta is even worse. Like we suck, we, we have let our most important public bank ATB basically do nothing when it could be right now doing significant good for Albertans. So Mark, this is, um, I mean, this is something that we've, we've all chatted about, you know, privately as well. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm completely on board. This makes total sense to me and in, in the idea of, of using biomimicry <clears throat> to inform and the patterns of nature to inform uh, not only our economy, but every aspect of our lives. Uh, but I'm just curious, like, I'm sure you've, you've pitched this idea to people like the finance minister and, and other people. What, what did the detractors say? Like, why, why not take this approach? What are the downsides? What are they afraid of? Well, there is, you know, those who are reasonably informed, there's actually very few economists I've met who understood the money system. Most say, I don't know anything about it. And I taught in the business school for 10 years. My MBA students didn't know either. Uh, I'm like, how is this possible that the thing that we go to school to do manage money, make profits, right? Uh, we don't even understand the origin of money. Like that seems impossible. And, and yet we're kind of like neo-born in the matrix. So we don't know. So we can claim to be ignorant. Um, so, I mean, the conversation that I have had, like I've had conversation with our auditor general here. Uh, and I said, just from an accounting perspective, the fact that we are not operating with a full balance sheet of Alberta, you run a business, if you're a farmer, whatever, you have assets on the balance sheet. The assets are collateral grade assets against which you presumably can lend or borrow, right? Uh, but Alberta Inc. doesn't have a full balance sheet. What does that mean? We don't actually count the oil sands as an asset. We don't count the liabilities of the oil sands as a liability or the well sites that are abandoned, right? Or the tailing ponds or the carbon liability or the, or the viability of soil. Do you, do you think there's an account of soil productivity in Alberta? No, but we'll count, you know, Roundup sales and all those other things, all those inputs. And we'll say, well, that's good. That's good for the economy. So you can't operate a business without a balance sheet. So 
from just from a monetary policy perspective, my argument and some some enlightened, you know, I think Mr. Dinning actually understood this uh, at the time, and that if we imagine now operating from a full asset accounting perspective, we're going to create money in relationship to the assets that we want to sustain. We want to sustain roads and bridges and hospitals and buildings, right? And we want to make sure the land is optimum in its yield, right? And healthy, our watersheds are healthy, right? Our people are happy or relatively happy and we have mental illness under control, you know, all these things. Uh, we, can, we can have very sophisticated money system. The, the fact is that very few people have thought about this stuff because we're so normalized or ignorant. I mean, there's all kinds of excuses, I suppose, but there aren't any now. Like the emperor basically, like we went to see the wizard and the wizard of Oz is that little old shaky man. And, and, and it's, it was just a constructed fictional thing you know, and we all have a heart and a brain and, and courage. So it's like, so the question is, why can't we move in the direction I'm talking about? Uh, where's the reluctance? And yes, there's vested interest, believe me. We tried to start public banks in America and the private bank lobby knows exactly what's at risk. They will lose their golden goose, right? If you return the money creation power back to the people as Abraham Lincoln said, you know, and Henry Ford once said, if people understood how easy the banks create money, there'd be a revolution tomorrow. That was Henry Ford. So we're, you know, we are a long time living in this matrix. So uh, that, so that only to say that very few economists will ever challenge me because they don't understand the money system. And the few that do this, like, oh, you're talking about inflation. I said, this is not inflation. I'm not talking about inflation. I'm talking about very sophisticated precise monetary system which creates just enough money for our needs and enough for innovation and all the other things we want we can create as much now the truth is people don't understand this china has a system i'm talking about china's had it since uh, the Qing dynasty was overthrown by the nationalists because sun yat-sen studied abraham lincoln's model abraham lincoln won the civil war because he knew that he could create his own money called greenbacks they didn't need the bank money they didn't need European bankers to debt finance a civil war. And he lost his life and China adopts this model. It's unbelievable. That, what does that mean? China can create its own money because as a sovereign central bank, it can create enough money to build as many office towers as it wants. It can have permaculture if it wants. Uh, has it made some good or bad choices? Absolutely. You know. There's ego, there's all this stuff going on still. But remarkably, China could actually lead us out of this wilderness, which is a fascinating kind of reflection. Interesting. So those are really big macro concepts <laughs> and, and super powerful. Um, how does it translate? I mean, and we, and we went kind of down that dark path a little bit in terms of, of like disincentivizing people to, to save. And so if you take that too far down, you end up with a, a run on the banks um, and that doesn't end in a, um, in a good scenario. So what's the micro, um, you know, we've got 120 up to 140 people watching right now, which is amazing. Um, 
what's what's the the micro action that people can take um i mean i i'm blown away that and i i this is kind of a conspiracy theory that i heard but that uh the rockefellers and jp morgan took uh monetary theory out of our education system close to 100 years ago i don't know if that's true or not but um like i i'm blown away by how important currency is uh in our day-to-day -day life and yet we all know nothing about it um so you know nothing about it I'll, I'll quote a famous economist. Do you remember John Maynard Keynes? Or mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Mr. Keynes in 1930 wrote a letter. It's called Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. It's a stunning letter because he says, I, I, I'll paraphrase, usury is a misdemeanor. What's, what do you mean? What's usury? Usury is charging interest on money, making money on money. So yet he said, Yet for the next hundred years, we'll have to pretend to ourselves that fair is fair and foul is foul. In other words, we're 20, 10 years away from his prophetic right statement, which we will be in a state of, in a sense, usury slavery, debt money slavery, right? So here we are. Um, and you're right. The Economist this week had a, had a nice little uh, article about what would Mr. Keynes do today? And you'd think they would have quoted the 1930 article. No, they didn't, which gives you a clue. Why, why aren't they talking about what could be the most important thing to free all of us from this crazy system? Now, individually, these are, these are challenging times, no question. I mean, the good news I think is, can you live with 2000 bucks in your bank account every month? Probably, we're not spending as much. Right, the average Alberta couple were making over hundred thousand dollars a year last year. A happy wage is about forty bucks an hour for two working couples. That's seventy-five grand a year. That's that's a happiness salary. That's enough money. To, the statistics show is just enough to be happy. Right, after which it actually levels off and actually goes down. The more money you make, the less happy you are. And so I'm saying, well, how is it that Edmonton couples who are making $109,000 in 2018 can't be happy at $70,000? Um, and I'm, of course, the transition is difficult because you got mortgages and all this stuff. The, the good thing that I'm seeing with COVID though is that what is it causing us to do to rethink our priorities? Like, what is that I really need? You know, yes, I would love to go. I'm supposed to be going to San Francisco next week. We're not going, you know, where, where am I spending my discretionary income and time? Uh, where are my priorities? Maybe my priorities are help my local baker who's buying red five wheat from Farmer Joe and they make great bread and I get to walk there and I get to queue up. Uh, the farmer's markets are still open. Thank goodness producing great, beautiful kale and, you know, some of what you're producing Dakota. That's cool. Like, so suddenly we can rethink are you know this hundred mile diet idea? So we're we're going to now think about all the relationships we we have with money, but then we want to be cognizant of we're supporting each other in some way, even as we're, you know, isolated and social distancing. So I think that's the exciting part for Albertans, and it's a kind of a wake up call. Yeah, oil is in the tank, like oil is pooched, right? Uh, we we have. But, you know, I just wrote an article for the Edmonton Construction Association. I said, you know, in 2005, oil hit 50, average $15 a barrel. And we survived. 
15 bucks a barrel. Uh, so we've been here before and we'll get through this. It's not gonna be pretty uh, because guess what? We were operating as if oil would continue to be 80 bucks a barrel and it's not. So there's some really tough love things that, and we've done it before. Albertans are, are tough. We get through stuff. We lived through a depression. How do you, the Alberta Treasury Branch was created in the midst of the depression, 1930 and 1930s. So we did innovative things back then. And I think that's what my call is. Let's, let's be creative here. Let's not get caught up in a depressing funk. Um, so on that note then, I mean, we've got, we've got people watching this. These videos that Dakota and I have been doing, getting thousands of views over just a couple of days. Um, my concern is that in the um, convulsion of fear that's being created, that people just kind of lay down and take it without actually thinking a little bit about what is the larger structural issues and the fact that the decisions that are being made on their behalf are going to have cascading implications for my grandkids maybe i, I don't know um like how like with the system staying in its current state we're just kicking the can down the road and and the fragilities are increasing um and the next time it's going to be worse so um, yeah, there'll be other there'll be other viruses, right? This isn't going to be the last one. I mean, and it doesn't even need to be a virus. It could be any number of of systems that break as a result of right. some systemic fragility. And I think you nailed it. I think the greater pandemic is fear. Um, it is a greater killer. I mean, I think it killed more seniors. I suspect in those old age homes. Yeah. You imagine not never being able to see your family and dying alone. Like fear can be brutal. And so I think we have to be very careful at, uh, and I don't want to be flip about this. It's like, you know, fear is a serious contagion. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have to stare fear in the face and say, you know, someone said fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Whoever yeah. said that, I don't care who said it, but it's a cool, if it's, a, if it's true, it's like, what are we looking at? You know, let's look at this situation and say, um, what are what are some alternatives to fear? I mean, I've already leapt over. I'm not grieving anymore. I was like, let's let's leap into the future. Let's write a new narrative. We we get to write this narrative, right? We get to write the Alberta story. We'll we'll look back five years later and go, wow, I know exactly what we were talking about on April 29th. So, what is the new narrative that is waiting to pierce us, literally, right? Because it's like storyboarding in a movie. Like we get to write the plot and walk into the plot. I mean, Dakota, you have been pioneering permaculture at large scale. Like, are you kidding me? Look at what happened in Cargill, right? It's like all of these are signs of a system that was inherently fragile and over, you know, over efficiency. I don't even know the word, too efficient, right? Too fragile, uh, subject to, uh, a catastrophe, just like our debt system. Subject, it, in 2008, that was nothing. That was just a wake-up call. This is gonna be more interesting, I would say. Absolutely, and and one of the things I wanted to mention earlier about your comments was the, um, about how, uh, I asked like, what, what, what do your detractors kind of say? Like, like why, why not do this? Cause it is so common sense. And, and you basically replied, well, my detractors are idiots. Like they just, they, they don't even, they don't even know what they're, they're talking about. And, and it's like, it seems insane. Well, no, 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 I'm, I'm kinder than that. Actually, 
here's, here's the sign here and you guys are saying you know if you get 150 people listening tonight we we launched a little uh my friend aniko's in london she's a pakistani sufi so we said we're gonna launch a little youtube thing like you like we have here tonight called what now and we're just gonna see we're gonna talk to as many economists and people from around the world who know banking and stuff and say what do we do next right well you'll laugh like how many subscribers do we have as to of today 68 mm-hmm. how much you know how many people watch joe rogan or you know brian rose london real millions mm-hmm. and i mean that to me is telling i'm not not that i'm famous it's just like wow some of the most interesting conversations are getting only 200 views yeah but so they either ignore you or right but we're not controversial we're talking about things like love and stuff we're not like blowing we're not talking conspiracy or um but you know it's too in a way it's in, it's telling that you know you don't get the traction that that controversy of course um totally and and i think that's that's part of the whole um you know like the the five stages of grief pieces you know there's there's first ego denial and then there's anger and then there's bargaining and then depression and then finally acceptance and and at each of those stages you know you can get stuck there and there's all kinds of predators that basically they make it their business to keep you in those stages you know so we've got you know the traditional media that's working very hard to keep people in denial then we've got you know the the protesters that are wanting to get people out in the streets and burn down the you know burn the stuff down and then there's people that are wanting to you know, uh, bargain their way out of this and, 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 you know, just like Trump just, well, let's just print a couple trillion more dollars because that we know that that works in the past. And then, you know, there's the, the people that are just like, they're paralyzed by, by fear and sadness and, and they're just rolling over and, and they're going to take their 2000 bucks and just watch Netflix and, and eat food and hope the whole thing blows. It's like, like you can totally see how you mentioned the word grief and like how you're past that. And, and, um, but th- this is, um, I feel just an, an excellent, um, w- right now I feel we're being forced to deal with the, the grief and sadness that we've all been just kind of putting away through whatever stages we've been stuck in. And, uh, and you're absolutely right. We do need to accept that this is going on right now. And the, I'm just reminded of a quote from Bill Moss. It's like, although the problems are increasingly complex, the solutions are embarrassingly simple. It's like, sure. like, like, why, why? So I mean, this. What is what you've mentioned? You kind of danced on this idea of like nobody knows what money is. What is money, Mark? Like, what, what is what is the function of money in our society? Money is an agreement. Money is an agreement to exchange some things, right? For it, it, it's just a useful medium of exchange. That's all it is. And, and you say, well, it's a store of value, all these economic definitions. No, it's just, it's just an agreement. Like I, I'll trade turnips for your wheat. Well, what's the ratio? I, five turnips for 10 pounds a week. I don't know. And yeah. uh, so money was, is not evil. It, it, it was, it's a very useful tool for exchange, right? Uh, in, in, in the relationship. The problem is becomes who creates the money, because, you know, if I'm the emperor, you know, in in the in Britain, for 800 years they had something called a tally stick, 
from William the Conqueror up to 1649 when the Central Bank, the Bank of England was founded. Um, it was a wooden stick that the king issued as a form of money. It was like getting a debit, an eight, you know, debit card. And, but if you try to counterfeit, you try to carve your own little oak stick, you get beheaded, right? I need to mess around. <laughs> but it was fascinating. And, and I go to the Bank of England when I was there and I said, do you have a tally stick? And they said, oh, I think so. Uh, we have a big gold brick. It's like, no, I want a tally stick. Oh, yes, I think we do. And I said, do you know, the young curator, do you know what a tally stick is? Do you know the story? And she goes, I don't. Like, how could you not know the story in the most stable time in all of British history, right? And, and it turns out the, the biggest fire in the parliament, you remember the fire of the parliament in 1850 or 70, was because they burned the tally sticks. They, they basically gave up using them. So this is a, a remarkable story. What would the modern tally stick be? Would it be, you know, I can hold up, look at this, this, you know what this is? This is money, this is wampum. This is seashells from Tahiti. This is what they used on wampum, right? George Washington, the double wampum treaty, seashells sewn onto buckskin as if seashells represent money. Seashells were the most ancient form of money originating from the indigenous Taiwanese who then influenced the Chinese who adopted coinage. So seashells, how, why seashells? In Edmonton, seashells were used to exchange for obsidian, for, for tools. In, in the river valley, there was an economy in which exchange occurred using seashells, which came from Aotearoa, from New Zealand, from the Polynesians. You know, these stories like our indigenous people know these stories, 10,000 years of commerce uh, in Alberta, right? And, and I didn't know that story until five years ago. And it's like, what, how come we didn't ever heard this story? What an incredible economy these people had. And they had elaborate systems of exchange and relationships. And, you know, they all dispersed back on the happy hunting ground, you know, after the winch, after the geese flew south, like, they had all kinds of elaborate protocols of respect. And we think that we're so advanced, right? It's like, oh my goodness. So that's the question is, you know, and mm. I could, you know, I always said, I, I, I gave, I, I told my friend in Toronto, I said, if, if Mr. Trudeau set up uh, a new ministry called happiness, uh, I would like to see you, because she wrote a book about love. I said, would you be the chief love officer for Mr. Trudeau. I mean, I love his hair, it's growing out and it's, you know, he looks really pretty. And, but I, I'm as bold to say, look, I'm one phone call from the finance minister. I am, I could, I'm advising now the associate finance minister office and associate finance minister's title also is the minister of middle-class prosperity. And she has a mandate letter from Trudeau, which talks about well-being and quality of life. What is New Zealand doing? New Zealand tables a well-being budget last year. Iceland with female leadership is looking at well-being as a base of budgeting. What I said to the associate finance minister is, I think to be bold, you should institute a well-being based budgeting system and return the power of the Bank of Canada to its original glory. If your bureaucrats are gonna resist this, of course they are. That's what they do. They don't like change, but you can't tell me that what existed before 1973 can't be brought back 
You cannot say that because we did it for 20 years and we can do it again. So who will have the courage to lead? Well, let's wait and see. So I just, before I just put <laughs> an important question here, uh, before we lose track of that topic, what about, I, I suspect that the reason we don't do this has to do with, uh, you know, deeply ingrained trade deals. And I mean, is this a point where the Canadian government can say, you know what, force majeure, uh, you know, we're moving on. Sorry, guys, uh, time to, to move on with our lives. Like, I, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that the reason that this um, uh, gas, gas link pipeline is going in is because of deals that Harper made back all these years ago um, that basically say that Chinese have, you know, as, as much rights or maybe even more rights to our resources than, than Canadians do. And, and if we don't do it, it, it creates very, very big problems. So I'm sure there's some of these things going on above the clouds that us peons, uh, I'm speaking about Dakota and myself, uh, can't see. And so I wonder if you can just talk a little bit to that. And is there such a thing as force majeure when we start getting into these governmental agreements? I think Jerry Maguire said that, wasn't it? That scene, like, show me the money, Jerry. <laughs> show me the money. You know, it. I'm going to use humor here. Follow the money. You know, just follow the money. You think about trade deals. I've studied this too. Like, what all I learned in economics, I'll just throw it out. That's why the economics of dummies is the only book I'll keep. <laughs> no, the rest, the rest is just mumbo jumbo, words that they, they make up. Uh, and so I go back to Adam Smith. I read Wealth of Nations. You know, first of all, he never even finds the word wealth, which in the old English means conditions of well-being. So, well, that's because Adam Smith was Scottish. He couldn't accept the fact that the English understood what wealth was. Uh, and then he talked about trade being, he said, you know, two countries like Portugal and Britain trade one wheat for port wine because one is better, the land is better for producing wheat in Britain than it is in Portugal. So you, why do you trade? You trade in your comparative advantage, your, which is a natural advantage. What, what kind of trade deals do we have today? No one stops to think about why Canada has to even trade one bushel of wheat to anybody when we could live, we could close our borders, except for coffee, beans, and bananas. Like, <laughs> you know, really think about it. You, you do a material energy flow analysis of this country's flow of materials. And you say, you, you, we can't imagine a time when we could be completely self-sufficient. Of course, we have more biocapacity than our ecological footprint, double what our footprint is. I, I could show you the math. And yet we never have a conversation about what was a business plan for Canada in the first place? Queen Elizabeth I, British East Indian Company, go and conquer Turtle Island, steal the assets. And oh, by the way, we have this central banking system in the city, the Corporation of London, which can use all that collateral grade asset to then enslave the indigenous people. Literally, it's, it's unbelievable what's happened. And we never have a conversation about, okay, how much oil do we have to trade with anybody from Alberta? Really, when we have 170 years of it in the oil sands, it's not gonna go away. And we feel so, so urgent to build another pipeline. Uh, so it's no different than the days when we we're, you know, harvesting beaver pelts, rushing to build top hats in, in London. It, it's a preposterous system that has forgotten what Adam Smith talked about. Now, will we renegotiate these trade deals based on what I'm saying? Highly unlikely. 
because there's money to be made in these trades. Why is it that China produces probably as much rice ships it across the ocean as America does? It's insane. It makes no sense at all. It makes sense for those who are doing all the money changing and, you know, but, uh, but from an ecological perspective, it's, it's crazy. And there, there again, it's like, and whose interest is it that the money needs to keep changing? And here's the big, here's another big lesson. Why does the GDP or the economy have to keep growing? Because the debt can never be repaid and it needs to be fed. It has interest charges and that interest component keeps growing and growing. It becomes a larger and larger part of our lives and our economy. Economists hardly ever look at that. They don't look at how much interest is embedded in your Starbucks coffee. But if you do the math, which is kind of hard because you got to figure out what the average interest rates on all these levels of debts are and then reverse calculate it, right? It makes your head spin, but it's, it's there. There's an audit trail. And then I say, surely we can come up with a better, better system, more just system. But again, it's like, in whose interest is to keep keep the game of musical chairs going? Exactly. You know the uh, you, you you basically define money as a as a tool, and and you're saying it's it'd be better if that if that tool were were used to um, to create well-being in in whatever aspect that that means but instead it's being used as a tool for you know conquest and 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 suffering actually and and i'm reminded of a uh, a funny uh saying uh when i used to work in um in trades which is um it's it's not the tool it's the tool using it exactly <laughs> it's true right i mean look if if i i could tell you some of my students said, you mean we could just start our own bank right now? I said, sure. Take nothing, a bunch of legal documents. Let's just create a credit union. The three of us could start a credit union tonight. And what, what all we need is friends who want to borrow from us. But we'll just actually do what the banks do anyways. We'll just create brand new loans. You know, another permaculture farm in Alberta. Sure, here you go. Here's $100,000. Oh, pay me when you can. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, pay me in rutabagas or something. Fine. Right? We could, we could actually start that in Alberta tonight. I've said that in front of church congregations. We could just start a trust, uh, you know, an interest-free lending pool where we just share in our just in our bounty. And and guess what? We give without expectation, just like the sun gives without expectation. So that's the model. The sun is the model for money. They don't use a fraction of its energy. It doesn't expect a return like humans do like why is it that we expect a return on money that was just created out of thin air in the first place as bookkeeping entries by corporations called banks which were given a charter basically to be counterfeiters it's like it's just outrageous and so okay let's let's play the game let's let we can play in that pool too but i don't want to play in that pool because that's just a dead-end street i want to play big time i want to play macro national banking policies like England had with the tally stick, right? So the, I've, I've got a, there's a, this is a kind of, not really a question, but it's more of a comment from the, the section here, but uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, 
and I, I can kind of see the connection. So it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this. But um, you know, you've mentioned China. China's using this this style of kind of biomimicry for their economic systems. And one of the comments was, uh, "This sounds like communism." <laughs> and so is, oh, is, this is, is democratizing our, money, baby. This yeah. is like, have you ever thought that the money was democratized? I just told you you have a monopoly on money creation. Yeah. You have you have predatory capitalism in it writ large. Ba banks so big that, you know, um, and, that, and I'll exclude the Vatican Bank, which is a whole other interesting issue. But, you know, the, the fact is China, uh, the other thing that people don't know is China's Communist Party, and I believe me, I'm not a big fan of the Communist Party, but I'm a fan of the Chinese people and their 5,000 years of culture, mm -hmm. is they have adopted something called ecological civilization. What? This is the longest standing civilization on the planet, and they adopt something called ecological civilization. What does that mean? It means they intend, and this is adopted at the top right level in the Communist Party. And I just told you I was an advisor on Xiao Kang, which a Confucian word, which actually means moderately well-off Chinese or well-being. That's what it actually means. How could China have well-being, ecological civilization, and a sovereign money system that they create just enough money for whatever they want to do? They want to rule the world. They could, I mean, if they could build aircraft carriers at once a week, they would probably quickly overwhelm America if they wanted to, but they don't because they never have. They've never conquered the world. They've never been hegemonic. They're inward looking. They're the middle kingdom, right? These are really important reflections. They have a Taoist mentality and a Confucian way of governing, even under a communist regime. So the cool thing about China is, is yes, it could be the model for what I'm talking about. Will it be? I don't know, because I'm not certain that they won't blow it as well. And they were realizing now that they cannot, they need to keep the farmers on the land. They can't be pushing them into Shanghai and the big cities because they need good stewardship. They are looking at permaculture. They, right, they know that they cannot adopt an industrial agriculture model or they're, or they're stuck. So they're, they're stopping from it. They're pausing and thinking about that. The other cool thing I've, I've observed when I was there, I said, one day China is going to stop trading, stop producing stuff for Walmart. Why? Because they have achieved their Shao Kung goal. Their Shao Kung goal was defined by a targeted GDP per person. Can you imagine if you, Canada said, we're going to stop growing the economy or Alberta at 20,000 GDP per capita, then we're done. Then we got to wor worry about distribution and wealth accumulation. We'll figure that out too. In fact, we'll just put you in jail if you make too much money. Or, or we'll, just, we'll just garnish, you know, we'll use it, negative interest rates on you, claw back the money. But we don't do that, right? We, we, don't, we just let people just make millions and become super billionaires. Um, so is China communist? Absolutely. But remember, they have a very ancient Taoist and Confucian culture, which gives me hope that... Um, I've always believed that the future of China and the world will be by the Tao or will not, if you know what I'm saying. If anyone's read Lao Tzu, you know what I'm talking about. Yep, it, because absolutely. it's about harmony. It's about 
it dials them as about eight forms in harmonious circle balance, like the medicine wheel, not upward sloping demand curves and debt curves, right? So here, there's the clue. You know, it's right on the wall behind you, like circles. Circles are about harmony, balance. Um, hmm. So th there's a clue in terms of how we have to rethink our money system and our democracy. So in a way, I guess, um, our money system is run by a bunch of cannibals. Um, or sociopaths or psychopaths. I mean, I don't even know how to characterize them. All I could say is this, I'm gonna be very bold. Is like, I don't know how a lot of the, those, these guys go to sleep at night because when they know, yeah. I mean, that that's what irks me. It's like, that's why I have to speak so boldly. I can't go to sleep at night knowing that my fellow Albertan neighbor is suffering financial anxiety when it was completely unnecessary. It's so unnecessary and preposterous that it persists. And to say nothing is irresponsible. But to persist in, in this game of the money game with your corporate license to enslave people is also outrageous. And, and But with respect to them, I think a lot of them don't understand what they're doing either. They actually don't understand that the game eventually ends up in a debt slave system. And that's why, again, the Sumerians were so wise every seven years. Do you know that the American debt levels have been doubling since World War II? They double on average every 7.8 years. And it's now 75 trillion and they just added another 4 trillion on top of that. So it's like, what if America had cleaned their slate every seven years after World War II? How many Americans would not be in financial angst, right? Or Canadians or Germans or, and this is, this is the truth. So this is kind of dark, but, but uh, maybe, Maybe we're all just in a farm. Have you ever considered that? We're all in a farm? Yeah. And not an ecological one. And that, I mean, you, you keep using the word debt slavery, um, but like well, maybe, maybe these systems are created to basically control the labor pool um, to oh, absolutely. Dense. Yeah. The, the entire thing, you, you could say the education system is a way of stratifying the elites. I mean, it was introduced in, in the industrial era, right? Revolution. Uh, why? To stratify the elites from, from the working class, to use exams to stratify, to test. Wh who cares? Dakota is going to be a great permaculture farmer. Did you know that when you were born? Did your grandparents know that? I don't know. Did you do a vision quest, you know, as, as a 13-year-old to find out why you're in the planet? You figured it out, right? So the education system's messed up. It's not ed education means to draw forth what's already inside you from the Latin. So all these mm -hmm. things, like the language, so my point is the language is all messed up. It's all inverted. Yes. And, and you're right, Rob, in a way where I, I, I kind of jokingly say to my some of my Old Testament scholars, like, who's the Moses in this story? Who's going to lead us out of Egypt? Maybe there's no Moses. Maybe it's Dakota. Maybe it's Rob. You know, <laughs> we, we have to lead ourselves out. Like, we're not going to wait for some savior. Um, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I think, I mean, people keep, the, the chat is just going wild right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, and everybody's like, okay, get to the point. Like we've been hanging around on this, 
on this um, crescendo for long enough. Like, let's give us the give us the the solution. And so, uh, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I do book. think that yeah, by Mark's book. Yeah, look, um, I wrote this book. This book is the operating manual for where we are today. I wrote it, and and I looked. I got my royalty check yesterday. I'm like, shit. I only sold like 600 books, and 200 in my basement. You know, <laughs> it's like what? What? I wrote this book as an operating manual. Like, <laughs> I know. I, I have a question about that book in a second. Uh, but to finish my point, there was. Uh, I, I mean, fundamentally, when we start looking at how much of our our needs are met through this. Um, poorly thought out or, or very well thought out, depending on the place in, in society you sit, I guess, uh, system that we depend upon to, to generate income. Um, like we are literally watching our supply chains disintegrate. Um, and the ones that aren't disintegrating are being reinforced by Jeff Bezos so that we can send rockets to Mars. Um, and <laughs> Good. Uh, Put them on a one-way ticket. I don't care. Like, <laughs> And, and so the solution, folks, is that, uh, at least partially anyways, is for us to start taking control of some of our supply chains. Start figuring out where your food comes from, where your heat comes from, where your um, work locally. I mean, ultimately, it is more expensive when compared to these subsidized imported things um, than, than, you know, using local economies. But uh, this is when these local things actually count. You're basically investing in a form of insurance policy. Yeah. So, so Mark, last time we talked, you were recording an audio version of that book. Where's that at? I stopped. I got a voice coach and said, you're not, you're not uh, joyful enough or something. I said, <laughs> put, put, put a picture of your grand, I don't have a granddaughter, put a picture of someone in front of you and then, and, and wave your arms around like you're, Anyway, so I stopped because I'm like, I'm too busy. I, I'm not going to, I'd recorded like seven chapters. I'm like, I'm, forget it. I'm, I'm going to take a pause and get a voice coach or something or have someone else. Maybe Dakota can do it in the spare time. doesn't matter <laughs> who, who reads it. <laughs> someone with an awesome radio voice. But uh, that's why I have this beautiful mic, you know, for, uh, but uh, I, I don't, I'm supposed to really slow my voice down and be like Orson Welles, like lower my voice so I get the baritone, you know. Anyways, only, only just, like, just, I can't keep up. There's so many things happening. But, yeah. but here's the point though is, you know, my point earlier is there's there's this book that I I read and this readers might or listeners might love this. This, this is the, a book about the story of Pythagoras, the man who gave us mathematics, right, from Greece. Well, this story is about uh, this, this scholar is a Greek scholar and a Jungian scholar. And he, he reads Pythagoras's Greek diaries. And he finds out that Pythagoras encountered some weird dude from Mongolia. He came to Greece, like literally came through time and imparted on Pythagoras his wisdom, his understanding from an indigenous perspective, an indigenous Mongolian his knowledge of mathematics, sacred geometry. But he says something important. Every civilization begins with an ecstasy. An ecstasy, ecstasy in Latin means to be out of your mind. An explosion of what was. A reminder that every civilization kind of gets lost, right? Kind of look, we get lazy. We give up the, th the thread, the storyline. Every civilization has these kind of cycles. 
or birth decay, right? And then new birth. So the question then is, what is the narrative that we wanna walk into? What story do we wanna tell ourselves about Alberta or Canada? Kanata means sacred or peaceful place. It means pure place, Kanata, right? And so there's a beautiful call to return, as my friend Lewis Cardinal said, let's return to harmony, return to the sacredness of the circle of, the, of a relational economy in which there's always enough. The creator gave us tons. We have so much abundance and we live in this artificial scarcity, a money scarcity system. Call it a slave system if you want, very poorly executed, maybe brilliant and it's like, it's amazing how it continues to operate. And no one calls the bluff on the Wizard of Oz. If there is even is a Wizard of Oz, it's unbelievable. And so my hope is that some leader, I don't, I actually, maybe my owners should not be on the leaders. It's on us to start a new conversation. And I'm not talking crazy stuff here. I'm talking basic, I'm not throwing anything out. I'm talking about accounting, basic banking, credit unions, whatever you want to look at, how to run a, you know, how to steward the land as you're doing with permaculture. These are all the tools. We'll, we'll put Humpty back together again. We'll figure it out. It won't be easy. The transition is not going to be uh, smooth. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where my hope is. So the more of these conversations, the better. Absolutely. And, and that is the, the guiding philosophy of, of permaculture is that basically we are the ones we've been waiting for. And that if you want to change the world, you start in your back, backyard and you successively work out through the different zones um, that you have influence over until you, you fix everything. And, yeah. and, and I think if, if everybody did just one small thing that was, that was moving towards this idea of well-being, um, and and with, within permaculture, permaculture defines well-being as, as three simple ethics. It's care of people, so that's all their, their, their needs for well-being, care of the earth, and, and, and like basically the, the ecosystem services, the other organisms that we depend upon for our own well-being, that they have their own, their own um, uh, intrinsic worth and in, in the, the um, they have a, a right to exist and, be, and to have their own, pursue their own well-being outside of us. And then the third one is um, care future. So doing the first two actions in a manner that allows all future organisms the same opportunities that you had or better, the, the concept of seventh generations. Yeah. And, and, um, and again, the way you do that is you, you start in your backyard. And so one of the things you, you, you mentioned a couple things that people could do here tonight, Mark, and one of them was, was um, you know, like if, if you know, three of us got together and we, we started a credit union, if, if every person in Alberta got together and created, you know, their own kind of bioregional credit union, would that be enough to topple and, and kind of, uh, would, would that help? Or are there problems with we, them? We don't, need to, we don't need to. My point is we have the biggest public bank in North America called ATB. It has a legislative mandate to provide financial services to Albertans. Do you know the Bank of North Dakota, which started before ATB uh, in 1919, actually lends to the state, interest-free loans to the state, okay? ATB provides financial services like bank accounts and business loans, right? To all of us, which the Bank of North Dakota does not do, but they, they're the same kind of creature. Yeah. I love credit unions, but I say, if you have your own public bank, 
and it's backed 100% by the assets of Alberta Inc. Mm -hmm. And you don't think creatively about, I'm not saying we just create crazy amounts of money now in this COVID situation irresponsibly, because we need to make sure that whatever we're going to invest in, let's say we create bonds, well-being bonds, green bonds, whatever you want to call them. We're selling debt bonds already to the markets, right? Uh, to some anonymous market. I mean, believe me, they can't even tell you who we sold our debt to. It's unbelievable. But imagine if we were creative and say, we need 10, we're going to have $10 billion of well-being bonds, whatever you want to call them, right? Because we have orphan well sites to clean up. We could actually create lots of employment right now. $1 billion a year for 20 years, we could clean up all the 300,000 wells that are going to be abandoned eventually. And we could yeah. put solar panels on some of them and generate, right? have a revenue stream. We could help First Nations youth develop the skills to rec do reclamation work, 20 years of work, right? What, what, yeah. But what do we do? We let the industry not put aside enough for the liability and then they go bankrupt. And some of them are got loans from ATV. It's like, what? This is crazy. It's totally irresponsible. We could say it was irresponsible, but what do we do now? Like, okay, we'll just let that be. And now we want to create money for permaculture farming, right? How come there's only one of your size in Alberta? It makes no sense. When, when the evidence is clear, what you're doing is helping literally our inner train. This is the other point I want to make is like, it's not just about this macro, it's insider gut. You've talked about it. We have leaky gut, we have biased immune systems. We can change all that pretty quickly just by what we eat. So all these things, uh, these are all asset classes I'm talking about that we could reimagine the role of ATB and our investment management corporation, right? To make strategic investments, create the money ourselves without cost, no interest at all. Because in fact, here's a clue. You don't have to charge interest because you're the bank of Alberta. Do you understand what I'm saying? You only have to recover the operating costs of running the bank, which guess what? Mounts to about 2% of the value of all loans that ATB has. Back in North Dakota, the cost of lending is 0.9%. It's unbelievable that you can create money at less than 1% of the value of the loan and never have to charge interest to ourselves. We were not gonna lend to Quebec or Manitoba, not because we don't like them, but we're jurisdictionally constrained. So that's that's kind of the thing I wanna leave people thinking about. And, and I'm not talking crazy stuff, it's actually possible. I've yet to meet anybody who says it's not possible under the ATB Act, if you read it. And I believe me, I've sat inside those ministries. I've sat on the Audit Committee of Alberta. I would ask these questions. Who do we sell our $10 billion of debt to? The market. I said, that's ah, not good enough. If I buy some lamb chops from Dakota, my name's on the invoice and so is yours. You know, but this is, this is reality. And it's a sad statement on accountability. Right? Um, but again, the, the good news is, imagine if we were the monetary authority of Alberta. I've, I've told the associate finance minister, what I would do right now is I would pull Canadians, I would ask them how they're feeling. How's your financial anxiety today? Your levels of stress, how much joy do you have when you wake up in the morning? Do you feel despair? How about your kids? Do you trust your neighbors? Do you see your neighbors, right? 
2,000 Canadians could get surveyed today and we'd have an amazing kind of assessment of well-being, how people feel, because statistics are full of all kinds of other nonsense, but not feeling questions. And then we could design with rethink the monetary policy of this country. So that's the exciting thing for me. And it's it's all possible if I had the ear just for two minutes of the prime minister, I'm sure Justin would listen. He might he might be like tone deaf or something, but maybe his hair is too long. But I, you know, it's like <laughs> no, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that's there are there are good people and good leaders that would or could now. You'd know right away where the gatekeepers are, right? Why do you think I'm not on CBC National? Yeah, and and so like one of the things I mean, we're we're kind of touching on um, and the the kind of conspiratorial nature, not not in that that the things you're talking about are wild theories, but in the fact that there are people. Who like if you follow the money, there are people who have, who have a vested interest in setting up the system this way and prolonging it this way, and it's basically our consent that that keeps the system running. And and one of the I had this insight I think it was a year ago, and I I, I've, I mention it as, as often as I can because everybody's um, everybody's tendency that are a lot of people's tendency when when you start talking about these things is oh that's just that's just a conspiracy and there's no way that you know, there's this people, you know, the Illuminati or whatever that are controlling the world. And it's like, I don't care about putting a name to it, but like, if you look back at history, our history is littered with examples of, of sm a small group of individuals who were psychopaths, whose goal was to take over control of the world. Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Adolf Hitler, uh, like, you know, and, and, and all, all of these people, you know, the uh, Pol Pot, like they, they're, their goal was was world domination, and 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 the thing they all had in common is where they is they had millions of people that didn't say no. Exactly. And and so I mean, like, just just as this, I'm saying this to address some of the comments in the chat. Like, what do we do? Get to the answer. Tell us, tell us what we can do. Say no. <laughs> like say no. I, I was told no is the most powerful two letters in the, in the English, you know, yeah. language. Uh, but but I also warn people because I said, look, I would tell my business students, I taught, you know, again, the one money lecture, in, I taught corporate ethics as if there's such a thing, right? And, and um, corporate social <laughs> responsibility, they would laugh. I said, okay, fine. We're, okay, there's no ethics in business, right? It's fine. Let's yeah. go drink beer for the rest of the term. I'll give you all an A, <laughs> right? Don't tell the dean, you know, but, um, but it was interesting because I said, you know, when you start to watch the stuff on, on the reading list, I said, don't take my word for it and don't blame me for what you're gonna do next, okay? You could get really angry. You'd be like, I can't believe I've been hoodwinked. I can't believe I'm in a slave and I'm a slave culture. I can't believe these banks get away with murder, right? And you can get crazy. You can start throwing, hurling stuff at, you know, whoever, I don't care. The Rothschilds, Rothschilds are just a smart family. They're, I don't have any grudge against them. They're just smart. Um, they perpetuate, you know, they've, they've sustained their, their economic dominance for many years, generations. So, uh, so don't get mad. Don't think that I'm your savior. I'm not going to lead you out of the wilderness. I, I can just give you clues about how it works. You know, the crumbs are there. Follow your own, 
follow your own research, you know, mm -hmm. uh, be discriminating, discerning. I've just given you clues about how it works. I mean, we can get in the minutia of the, that they're just simple bookkeeping entries. It's so simple. It, as Galbraith, gone, gone, Kenneth Galbraith said, the creation of money is so simple. The mind is repelled, he said. Anything so important requires one to follow the rabbit up the magician's sleeve. And they get lost like Alice in Wonderland. And hopefully you come back out the sleeve. But, right, so this is, he gave us a clue. He wrote that book in 1971 on money. And so these, you know, there are other, these voices are worth pondering. And then you study American history. Go study why the Revolutionary War actually happened. Right? Study the history of the Bank of Canada. The tally stick. Just, just yeah. go and study. I'm not talking about revolution. I'm just talking about returning back to what we had. I'm not saying we go back to seashells. Now that we have blockchain and cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and all these sophisticated, most of them are the same system with young guys motivated by the same greed and desire to get rich quick. Not good enough. I want a distributive democ democratic money system where we all are making decisions to create the money in, in sufficient supply for our collective needs. So that, and you know, the experience of, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to some of my uh, Muslim friends who have created these really fantastic kind of sharing circles or money circles in Pakistan amongst the poorest, right? Where people just put money in the pot and whoever needs money can take it out. And there, there's not even an expectation to repay it. There's no interest charge on it. But Dakota, if you need $5,000 today because you had a bad spring, it's there, take it. Rob and I won't complain. You need it now. And in a year or six months from now, you'll put it back in. Now, how, how would that ever happen in Alberta? Like we're not cultured that way. We're like, don't talk about how much money you make, you know, or your portfolio or anything. So we're already cultured to be distrusting. So we have to actually learn to trust each other again. It's so, a great book. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so that's that's kind of, again, these are all experiments we could start, we could start tonight, tomorrow. Um, the, the, the interesting thing is when you get caught emotionally, it was like, well, oh, geez, I don't know if I trust a quota to advance them five, I'm gonna e-transfer you five grand tonight. My wife was like, what are you crazy? You're like, who is this guy? He's got some banjos in the background. And, you know, <laughs> right? And it comes down to trust and yet, what, what's happening, I have a friend in, in Antwerp in Belgium, he's created a money game. He, he, he was a pretty wealthy guy and I interviewed him. And he said, you know, one day I woke up and I realized I, I didn't have to work. I got all this money, but I was stressed. He says, it's a weird thing. You have all this money, but I was stressed. And then I went, wait a minute, I'm a smart guy. I'm just gonna give a lot of this to my family. Just gonna spread it out. And, and I, cause I know it's really what I need. I could, I could play video games all my life. That'd be really boring. And so this, this epiphany happened for him. And it's an extraordinary interview with him. And he said, then I started thinking about the money system. And I said, well, what if money was just like, you know, every morning you wake up and this is how much money you need for the day. So you wake up in the morning, this is like manna in heaven, like Moses, right? And it's full of water. 
but it's not overflowing. If it was overflowing, guess what? There'd be tons on your counter. And there'd be, oh, I can scoop some up and he transferred to Dakota because he didn't get enough. So I'll just pour. So he has this kind of image of everyone has, right? A bottle or a, a bucket. The bucket also has holes in it because it leaks, right? But it always has just enough. And at the end of the day, it's empty. It's done. It's like the man in, right? It's like Moses and the Israelites. It must have freaked them out, eh? Like going to sleep and night going, what are we going to eat tomorrow? And there it was again the next day. <laughs> and this is kind of the image that I have for the future of money. I know it sounds, maybe it sounds crazy, but it's like, what if that was a reality? And we could actually design something like this. And that's what Steph Cooper's in Antwerp has done. Hmm. But he says the only way people will appreciate that it could work is he's designed a game that people can play. They experience this. It's like a poker game where the chips never run out. If I go around a chips, Rob just passes me chips because we just want to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like the 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 analogy there's what you're what you're trying to get to is like like the game we're playing is the well-being game. Yeah. So that's 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 really what it's all about. And and this is uh I can't remember when when we chatted before, um, did we talk about Sam Harris's concept of the moral landscape? Yeah, yeah. And and how like that is basically the, the basis for for morality and the fact that there are um, like at, at any one point you can you can look out around you and you can you can make decisions based on on um, ethical decisions based upon actions that will move you towards greater well-being and away from suffering um, and you can rank you can make those decisions based on the things you can see but there's obviously limitations to how far you can see um, but there's also limitations to how far how high you can go. And so this is what's really exciting to me is like right now we're fighting over crumbs on uh, like over this minuscule amounts of growth on a finite planet that that is being driven by this debt cycle. Um, yeah. When reality, if we switched our understanding of, of uh, wealth and money to be driven towards well-being, there's actually no limit to how good things could get. Absolutely. Just like in an ecosystem. Like you, your soul just keeps getting better and better. And it gets like the, the analogies between the insanity of our economic systems and the insanity of our agriculture is just. Yes. And we see, parallel we see that in nature, right? Roots talk to each other underground, like mycelium yeah. and aspen groves. Aspens are yeah. like, you know, on and on. We have models in nature. Uh, is it dog eat dog? I don't know. It's, it's pretty homeostatic, right? It's, there's relational stuff going on that, just behooves us to fully understand but the truth is like i want you to be successful as a permaculture farmer i want to you know drive down the road and, and shake your hand and, and buy your beautiful you know produce and stuff because i don't have the energy i'm going to be an economist i'm going to stick with my stuff and you stick with your mastery and rob will stick with his and and somehow it'll be fantastic because you know and you won't be overworked and i won't be overworked um so i think to me, that's an exciting, uh, one thing I was going to say is I have been working on a technology, I call it, um, where the notion is, Dakota, because you mentioned something important. My desire is that Dakota Cohen is the happiest person he can be at this point in his life. I feel a responsibility that you are, you are well, that your family's well. Uh, I can't take care of all of these 4.3 million Albertans as a relationship, but I can make some choices about those I spend my time with. And here's the thing is like, 
we all have the average male in Alberta has 740,000 hours to live from the moment you're born. That's how much hours you have in your hourglass. Okay, so because the average life expectancy is 83 or whatever. What if life was about exchange of only time? Your hour is no more valuable than my hour. But the desire is my the hour we just spend are almost two hours here. I can't believe it, two hours. I haven't even eaten yet. Uh, is leaves us feeling hopeful, joyful, right? I could say, you know what? I get an interface dialogue box says, how, how much more hope do you feel tonight? 5%, 1%, zero, when you went into negative, you know, wouldn't that be a kind of cool economy where we actually mutually have these smart contracts. We have an exchange of time and we verify, or maybe not, that my feeling of happiness, hope, joy, eating better has actually increased. I've helped my brother and my blood pressure goes down. When I go see my GP next, right? All my vitals are better. What happened? I was talking to Dakota, this wacky, like permacultural farmer, you know, and, and, and then the curiosity is what does he do? Well, he grows this, he does, has this thing called permaculture. What is that? You know, like, so now we're like, wow, what kind of economy would that be if everything was just on the same kind of time equivalency uh, and we could create it. So I've written a paper called the soul print, which is what's life about helping each other's souls be the best we can be. Will people yeah. play that game? I don't know. Some people are cynical. No, people aren't altruistic. People aren't actually inherently giving or compassionate. And I was like, I, I, don't, I disagree. Um, yeah. And why not try it? Try this little platform. Time is then money. Awesome. Anyways, people want to read it, they can. Um, I've got it, the survey online. I don't publish it, publish it because I'd be overwhelmed. People would, <laughs> too many people would take the survey. Awesome. I'm going to check it out. That's right. uh, a really good kind of place to. I think uh, put a capstone on it tonight. Make sure that your tummy's not grumbling too bad. I don't want to <laughs> lower your well-being this evening. Um, I want to thank you personally, Mark, for um, for sharing some of these insights. And we didn't necessarily get to what every individual should be doing, but we're getting there, and we're going to keep having these conversations. And I think tonight's conversation was really important to help people to diagnose what's actually going on. Um, we can't. Gandhi said it, that, that the solution is three, um, three quarters of the solution is getting the right diagnosis. And we're all flailing around trying to figure out what all of this means. And, and the reality is none of us really seem to know. I think we're kind of just convulsing at this point. <laughs> and if we don't stop convulsing and sit back and, and, and fully understand how we've gotten here and, um, uh, you know, with, with the decisions that have been made, uh, we can't really plot uh, a proper course forward. And in, the reality is, is that this comes back to a conversation Dakota and I had a couple of weeks ago, which is really identifying sphere of influence and sphere of concern. And so tonight we, we kind of zoomed out into the macro and we looked at, talked about sphere of concern and, and why it is the way that it is. Um, and as we continue these conversations on Wednesday night, we're gonna keep drilling into 
solutions and understanding where our sphere of influence actually is. Fundamentally, we all feel this fear. We're, we're going out, we're hoarding. Maybe there's going to be a run on the banks. Uh, and, and all of our leaders are telling us that these are maladaptive behaviors. They're maladaptive behaviors if you're trying to maintain a broken system. The, the behaviors themselves are fundamentally based upon people trying to maintain well-being when they know that they're being fleeced and, uh, and that there really isn't enough to go around with, because the system is fundamentally based on false scarcity. And it's not based upon responding to uh, crises and black swans, which we're currently in the midst of. So for me, the thing I want to leave with tonight is this idea that um, take this time over the next few months to really, I was saying this today in a podcast, um, we should all be ta uh, taking journals and taking photos and, and understanding how these, our system that we're all dependent upon right now responds to these convulsive actions. This will be a conversation that's had in 100 years from now. It won't be the Spanish flu. It'll be the great COVID um, or, uh, you know, uh, epidemic or whatever. We'll be having, uh, um, not millennials, but uh, uh, COVID. Uh, COVID can, I say, can I say notice yeah, the yeah. language? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's right, Rob? Go for it. Yep. He used the language COVID disease, dis-ease. Right. Right. We have, we know there's, we have a disease. And so, uh, it, meaning hyphenated, right? And we know yeah. something's not, something's rotten in Denmark, uh, but we don't know what to do about it necessarily. We're, we're, but we know there's, right? There's an, une there's an unease. And then there's this kind of like, wow, like, but I know something better is possible. I just don't know yeah. where to turn to. Uh, but I think we just turn to each other and we, we learn in this time of self isolation. You, become more educated what a beautiful time like when would you ever think about studying the money system yeah absolutely <laughs> one, and I, I i like that there's like i mean if if really for, for me if, if there's one big takeaway that like so the um, one of the um, the the concepts that like the most common question that we're getting in the chat right now is what do we do what do we do tell it just stop talking about philosophy tell us what to do and and the the, the problem is is that that equation is like, um, it's like algebra. There's multiple variables. Before you can figure out what to do, you have to, you have to isolate some of the other variables before you can solve for that. Yeah. And in the, um, the work that Rob and I teach um, in terms of how to make holistic decisions that are, that are ethical, and, and the goal is, is obviously well-being here, we break it up into three parts. And we've talked about this in, in previous um, uh, Q&A sessions that folks can go back at, like the first two or three, we go into more detail. But essentially, it starts out by figuring out, there's, there's, so there's three pieces to the, the puzzle. First, you need to figure out what you want. Then you need to figure out what you have. And then you need to figure out what's right. And when you, when you solve for those other, those three problems, then you can figure out what to do. And so this is, this is the first step in, our, in, the, in the courses that we teach is, is yeah. basically clarify your vision, values, and resources. What do you want? What do you have? What's right? And so I, I, um, I know this seems really philosophical and, and at a 30,000 foot view, but this is exactly like, like another, another quote, uh, I can't remember who said it, but it's the, there's, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Everybody gets stuck on action and, and this head down asset mentality. But the problem is like, we've been doing that. And what do we get? We just get our heads so down, they end up up in our own asses. And 
and we don't go anywhere. And so yeah. I think this is a fantastic time for people to sit down, reflect internally, and think about what does well-being mean to be mean to me. And like your your concept about you know like the the striving to ensure that each other's souls are as happy. I know this sounds super um, intangible to most people, but this is ex- like, this is exactly what we need to be doing right now, yeah. Mark. And I I really appreciate. Um, can I, uh, your can message I try? and um, and all the stories that you've told here tonight. So, yeah. One one, one this reflection on on your viewers' comments. The common comment is, you know, I think it reveals a lot about how we think. Like we we become accustomed to a leader, right? I don't care who the premier is, right? Please lead us. Please tell us what to do. You know, and and we have we have pretty good rules right now, right now, right? The distancing rules you know it's amazing how many new rules have arisen in the last month so we follow the rules dutifully um but i what i sense is that if if this live broadcast if all your 150 viewers were actually on my screen right now sitting in a circle by the time we got around the circle i think all the answers to the questions would become clear and not everyone's going to contribute, but so I feel a bit, you know, part of me is like sad. And I, I know this from teaching in circle in an MBA program in the States. And we, we started a new modality of teaching, which was sitting in circle. So I'm the professor, but what do I know? I just know what I know. Right. But the students have life experience. They, they come with questions. And by the time we go around a few times, accounting becomes clear. Finance becomes clear. Right, because um, we're speaking now through metaphor, through not from a textbook, but from actual, what are we gonna do? What could we do, right? And I think to me, that's, I hope that's a, I know there's only three of us on the screen right now, but there's 150 people who are, you know, um, maybe caught in that desire to have a leader, but I do honestly believe the answers are in the circle if, and this is my view of democracy. I asked Preston Manning once, why are the desks in the legislature in rows? And, and that far apart. Because you know, Mark, that the reason the British Parliament, you know, the way you talked, it's like those desks, those seats, actually, there's no desk in the British Parliament, right? Because you just sit and said, they're exactly two sword lengths apart. <laughs> you stood up, I tried to swipe you with my broadsword to code. I would just miss the tip of your sword. And uh, if I stood in place, but um, but he said to answer, it says, so do you imagine a day, Mr. Manning, when we could move all those desks into a circle in the legislature and pass the eagle staff or feather or something or kitchen spoon? And he said, he, this is what's amazing. He goes, I don't believe the existing members of our legislature would have the, the guts to do it, but I think we can. Mm. That was that was pretty amazing, that response. So uh, I just want to leave maybe that thought about uh, how we do democracy and how we'll make uh, decisions going forward. That's, that's fantastic, Mark. And I think it's a great note to end on. Uh, the, the, the second most common question in the thread has been, where do people find out more about you, some of the books that you've mentioned, the articles you've mentioned, where can people go to access all that stuff, Mark? So. Um, well, I have uh, Anielski.com. That's, I have a rare name, so it's just easy. My last name, Anielski, A-N-I-E-L-S-K-I.com. Um, I have uh, 
the book, The Economics of an Economy of Well-Being. I can never get the title right. I do have a podcast uh, uh, called The Economics of Well-Being that you can listen to on Apple, Google, whatever, Spotify. And uh, and we're as noted earlier, we're, my friend Anika in uh, Malik in London, we produced a YouTube show called What Now, um, which is ask, you know, pondering all these big questions that we try to do tonight in two hours. So uh, we're building, we've got 25 guests that we've interviewed, we've taken a pause, we're like, whoa, there's so, it's so fantastic. There's so many great ideas. And he's like, well, we could have a hundred people where we're gonna get exhausted. So it's, it's a fun platform to invite people to come and listen and increase our viewership and, and provide, you know, ask comments like you can in YouTube. Because uh, the plan here, which might get you guys both excited, is we, we now have this vision of literally writing the next Declaration of Independence. Which starts with, we find these things self-evident that all of us are created in the same image of God, which is love. And then we just go on from there. Like, what? What did you just say? Yeah, we find these things self-evident. Did, did my American brothers miss missed that memo from Jefferson that said we find these things self-evident because I don't know I don't find anything evident down there uh, or the Magna Carta which means the great charter of freedom 810 years old right cool document uh, so imagining like fusing an earth charter taking all these documents together and like writing them as if this is just common sense, like, come on. Now we all now we all commit to it. In our companies, in our lives, in our cities, in our towns, right? Um, so that's kind of, that's what I'm working on this week. That's amazing, Mark. So I'm gonna just close close on one note uh, this week uh, on Friday, and I put a link into the uh, the chat and I'll put it up one more time here. There is the Calgary Permaculture Guild is hosting uh, a Permi drinks on Zoom. Bring your own beer. Zoom hasn't figured out how to beam it to us yet. Um, and so one of the solutions is getting a community group going. Um, another solution that we will eventually get to with the Permaculture Calgary group is an alternative parallel currency. So when times like this happen, we're not dealing in a monoculture. Same thing happens in monoculture fields, we've got monoculture dollars right now, and we're all uh, subject to the decisions that people make on our behalf. So come check out the Permaculture Calgary Guild. If you don't have a membership, it's super cheap. It's only like 25 bucks a month, or a year, sorry. Um, and we host events like this all the time. Normally we're not socially distanced, but um, uh, highly recommend you check that out. Link is in the chat window there. And I just wanna personally thank Mark. Let's uh, take the 150 people on this channel and. Get it 650 books and turn it into 800. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and we'll, we'll definitely be chatting with you again soon, Mark. Thanks. Well, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Dakota. Yeah, thanks, talk Mark. To talk soon, man. Okay.